God is good all the time, isn't he? Through the storms and through the times of sunshine, the mountaintops and the valleys. He's good all the time, not just when we get our way, right? All the time. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the time that you've given us to gather together as your family of faith this morning. And I pray that we have come prepared to meet you as we sing songs that will lift up uh, our praise to you, the only one who deserves it. And as we listen to the power of your spirit, as he speaks to us through this time of music and uh, scripture reading and prayers and message, that God, we would go away as different people, people that are even more conformed to your image. And so I ask that you would guide us, direct us, and Father, this morning, help us to experience you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, welcome to First Baptist Church, Sun City West. Thank you for being here together today. And I, uh, I commend you for wanting to come in out of the heat into the air conditioning. So we, uh, we do appreciate you being here. Today we, uh, we celebrate, we celebrate God. Because he is, period. And I thank you for being here. If this is your very first time, we'd ask you just to fill the guest card from the pew in, the, uh, in front of you and fill out its entirety and put it in one of the offering plates. We would appreciate that because we want to reach out to you this next week. Most importantly right now, we want you to stand and let's continue our time of worship. Let's sing to God. Encourage each other with our songs. Thank you for standing. May his glorious name be praised forever. Glorious is thy name.
we begin our next set, you may be seated as we continue singing, All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. All hail the power of Jesus' Will you pray with me? Holy God, we love you so much. And Jesus is the sweetest name, and we know. And Father, we're so grateful to be able to come together and worship freely and sing songs of praise <coughs> to you and to your holy name. And God, today, I just ask, Father, that for each of us, as we go further into the service, that we might prepare our hearts, Father, that we would come before your throne in humility. Father, please cleanse our hearts, cleanse our minds, 
Help us to hear with our hearts and with our ears. Father, we pray that you would be with our pastor as he brings the message this morning. And God, if there's one person here who does not have a personal, intimate, loving relationship with you, that this might be the day of salvation for that person. God, as we look outside the walls of our church to our nation and our world, to our community, Father, we see that there are many who are lost. And God, we see the great opportunity that we as your people have to hold our light high. God, to love others, to be different. Father, that we are in this world, but we are not of this world. God, that those around us would know that we love you, that, Father, every opportunity we have, that we might tell others about you. Be with those who are ill in our congregation, and, Father, just watch over them. Give them your peace, those who are going through procedures, whatever there may be. God, we just thank you and bless you that we are able to come again to be with you here in your house on this beautiful day. Help us, Father, that we might understand and know how very blessed we are to be your children. And that, God, that it's our need and our responsibility to tell others of you. Go with us now. Be with the rest of this service. Be with every aspect of it. Help us, God, as we open our hearts and our minds to you. For it's in Christ's precious name that we pray. Amen. beautiful hymn entitled The Heart of Worship. I'd like to read just a little bit of the lyrics. When the music fades, all is swept away, and I simply come. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I made it, when it's all about you. It's all about you. Let's sing.
yourself is not what you have required. You search much deeper within, through the way things appear, you're looking into my heart. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. There's just something about that Our scripture reading for today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Please follow along either in your Bible or on the screen. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. We are blessed by the reading of the scripture, for these are the words of the Lord. Amen. Amen. 
This morning we address the topic of a pattern of temptation. One of the things we have to realize as we think about temptation, as we look at what scripture has to say, is the reality that temptation will happen to each one of us and it will happen consistently and continually. Our passage of scripture out of Genesis chapter 3, uh, over the years there's been a lot of comments about Eve and about Adam. And the reality is if you look at verse 6, you find that they were both there. And they both submitted to the temptation. Unless we just think about them, if it hadn't been them, it would have been one of us. And sometimes we forget to take these passages of Scripture as patterns, as principles, as an understanding that this applies to us. It wasn't just ancient history of how something happened. And in this passage is a beautiful understanding of the pattern that Satan uses to tempt us and to try to get us to fall. Temptation has been around for a long time, as we will find. My brother, when he was uh, finished his freshman year at Wayland Baptist College back in those days, came home, I was in the eighth grade, and after that whole year of a great education and learning so much, here's what he taught me. He said, this is a little song, a wisdom that I want to share with you. He said, yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Find someone to help you, then blame it on them. <laughs> Such wisdom for so much money. <laughs> Sometimes um, we do focus on the blame game. Well, look what Eve did. Look what Adam did. If they hadn't done it, we have to look at ourselves. Because Satan is that roaring lion looking and roaming to see who he can devour. And he's looking at us. I believe that um, when I first came to the First Baptist Church of Sun City West, I thought to myself, you know, I've been 35 years as a pastor, and I was a preacher's kid before that, so my entire life at that point had been focused on ministry or being in a minister's home or being a minister. And I thought at that time of life that I had probably seen as many first as I probably ever would. And I was disappointed that that was not the case. <laughs> I have had so many firsts here at First Baptist Church Sun City West, I can't even count them. And they have helped me to grow and to learn and to stretch myself in ways I never thought. You probably have felt some of the same ways. But one of the things about first is that they do teach us great lessons. As with many other matters of human existence, in the book of Genesis it sheds light on first experiences, and in our case today, first experiences with temptation. Well, I question humankind, that means you and me. We act with a self-destructive, self-defeating impulse in life. And we can't deny it. It's something that has 
hampered every one of us throughout our lives, and it hasn't stopped in these years of retirement. Now you might be thinking, well, Pastor, at this stage of life, temptation on those big things really doesn't apply to me. I want to reflect back to the book of Mark for a moment. In Mark chapter 7, verses 20 through 23, here's what Jesus said. What comes out, or what comes out from a person is what defiles them. For it is what from is within, out of the person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. So the reality is that this does apply to every one of us. We may not have the intention to go out and murder somebody or maybe look to see about having an extramarital affair somewhere down the line. But I want you to know that Satan continues to try and derail us even in our retirement years when we think we have passed over the greater part of the big temptations. It's subtle. What would they be like? What could some of those temptations be like? Well, I think gossip is one of those. You're given confidential information. You have not been given permission to share that with anybody. And yet, you come beside somebody and you say, you know, I'm only sharing this with you so that you can pray for that person. And you had no permission to share that. Ridicule. When faced with maybe a disagreement with somebody else and uh, you either share with somebody behind their back or you think, you know, I don't agree with this person's opinions or their beliefs because they're different than mine. And, well, he's wrong. <laughs> yeah, you know what? We can agree to disagree on things. But ridiculing them, that is falling to the temptation. How about false humility, pride? This is thinking too highly of yourself or thinking that God actually needs your help in accomplishing his plan because he isn't quite attuned maybe to the situation. You might say to yourself, you know what? I can do what that person is doing and I can do it better because I'm gifted. I, I have more experience. We can think that is a godly trait to be so gifted. But in reality, false humility, pride, says that we're better than anybody else and we can accomplish it better 
but it doesn't take into account what God is doing in and through the person he has chosen. How about devaluing a person? Devaluing means the, the demeaning of a person because you think that you're better or you are superior than they are. You kind of look down your nose at them, in a sense. You wouldn't say that. I mean, that's not necessarily what comes to your mind, but that's what happens. And yet, we should always come back and look at ourselves in Scripture and find that Jesus, he looks at everyone and he loves them unconditionally and he sees their potential. And he's the creator. Will be to us if we devalue someone, think we're superior to them, to not even give them the time of day or to talk down to them. It's just wrong. How about false motives? Our motive for doing something that seems godly on the surface, but your motive is to achieve your self-centered plan. Not necessarily God's plan. An example might be to befriend a person or people, to build your little kingdom or to cover your lack of confidence. False motives. We are commanded to come before God with a clean and pure heart. But I tell you, Satan is slithering around trying to get you off of the track of what God desires onto what you think might be best. These temptations, where do they come from? More importantly, how do we recognize where that impulse come from? I think the first instance that we have here in the book of Genesis of temptation provides lasting clues to, to the dynamics that can, can lead us to personal disintegration and, and devastation in our lives. Also, the consequences beyond ourselves. And so I think we probably ought to learn from our first parents, Adam and Eve, something about temptation. And through that, learn some lessons on how we ourselves can observe them and not fall from them because it's a process that Satan goes through. Three things I want to try to address in our time here. Number one, temptation begins with attention that should not be given. Temptation begins by making something the object of our attention that deserves no attention whatsoever. Here, the couple in the garden, they, they should have sensed immediately when the serpent began to talk that things were out of order. That he, he was, everything had been going just fine, but, but he was bringing something that created this issue that was overturning the order of creation itself. And there should have been something in them that said no. And I think we should recognize temptation first as that which overthrows the order, the responsibility, and the accountability in our lives. Now, how do we do that? Well, I think 
we should pay no attention because of the shrewdness of the tempter. In Genesis 3, in chapter, uh, in chapter 3, in verse 1, the first part, the scripture says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He is crafty. Satan is not this horned creature with a long tail and a stick. He is smart. He is deceptive. The word actually means that he's sly, cunning. He's wily. He's shrewd. He's an expert at the art of not appearing to be what he really is. We find that from the very first, we should understand that his remarks in this passage are not what they appear to be. And they should be carefully examined. So, let's examine them. Because no mere human can or ever has resisted his shrewdness without calling upon the Lord God for help. He's indeed able to turn himself into what the scripture says as the angel of light. So the things that appear to be so good, like the angel of light, if you haven't, if you haven't walked closely with the Lord, could actually be Satan. Understand how wily he is. Also, we should pay no attention because of the strategy of the tempter. He's shrewd, and he has a strategy. He has a plan. For those of you that like to just kind of run by the seat of your pants, Satan doesn't have to do that. He's not haphazard. He is strategic in everything that he does. His strategy is never straightforward. It's never obvious. He's not going to come knock on our door and say, hey, I'm about to tempt you, and I want you to go my way. There's so many other ways that he's going to try to accomplish that. It's first, always a sneak attack. It's a Trojan horse that promises a gift but holds death. He began the first, temption, uh, first temptation with a very polite discussion about the nature of God. He said in the second, uh, second part of verse 1 in chapter 3, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Did God really say that? <laughs> it's not a denial of the truth. He didn't say, God didn't say that. He said, did God really say that? It's a sly and insinuating statement. He simply suggests that God may not have really meant what God actually said. A good translation would be this. Even God himself would not want to keep something so good as the tree away from someone so deserving as you, Adam and Eve. Yet you find in this statement something very interesting, that the tempter gave himself away. He calls the creator God. 
He didn't use the term that the first part of Genesis uses, the Lord God, which is significant. But he does use the term God. And the tempter, in his mind, God is a remote figure that's not really interested in Adam and Eve, nor what they do with the tree in the garden. He's just created and gone on his way. That's at least the perception that he's giving. So the first mistake we find here is to pay attention to his words. When Satan comes to whisper in your ear, when he speaks to you in some visible or some other way, and there's this, this thought that comes into your mind negatively about somebody or calls into question something that is biblical, that is godly, his desire is to get your attention so you got to dive in deeper. That's what the advertisers do all the time, isn't it? You get an email, click on this for more information. <laughs> it's really cool. On TV, you get an advertisement that says, oh man, that, that looks great. I think I'll go the next step and check it out. I mean, that's exactly what Satan is. He, he's a great PR person to try to get you into the next level. Secondly, we find that temptation continues with a conversation that no, should not be spoken. So first he draws your attention to it, wanting you to lead into a conversation with him where he can begin to dive deeper into your mind and your heart. Attention and conversation. We find that Eve moved toward the serpent's goal. In that very moment, she began to speak with him. She began to dialogue. In his temptation, the Lord Jesus Christ in the wilderness, when Satan tried to develop a conversation with him, he did not speak with the devil. He confronted him with the Word of God. There's a difference. There are some things that should never be said. Because when we speak with the devil, we minimize God. We minimize the goodness of God. Eve's statement concerning God's uh, prohibition um, to the limits actually minimizes God's generosity. God said in, in Genesis 2.16, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. And there's going to be a restriction of one. But listen to the words. You are free to eat from any tree in the garden. And then move to Genesis chapter 3 and verse 2. The conversation between the serpent and Eve, she said, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say. But. You ever had a conversation with someone and lay out things that are, are true and right and things maybe that, that would be good for them to do, and they say, oh yeah, that's all good ideas, but here's why we can't do that. 
Have there been times when you forget to see all the ways that God has been generous to you, has benefited you, has come to your aid all through the course of time, but right now, for this situation, he has not intervened like you wanted him to, and you say, but, and you minimize the generosity that God has given. <coughs> His goodness. Also, we can begin to minimize not only the goodness of God, but the character of God. Eve suddenly stops talking to to the Lord God and uses the mere term God in this conversation. Well, you say, though, that's not significant. He just took off the word Lord. It's huge because that's the exact term that Satan used, that the serpent used. Not Lord God, but just God, this remote idea. That he's not really involved in all that we do. By adding the words in verse 3 that, uh, that she did, she says, but you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. And adding those words in her conversation with the serpent, she suggests that God is too demanding, he's too confining, and he's too strict. I'm supposed to be free. I can have everything. Oh, but there's this one tree. Never noticed it really before until attention was brought to it. And then this dialogue and conversation began. Under the fire of the temptation, I promise that you will find yourself questioning God's <coughs> character if you intend to yield to that temptation. When that pops into your mind and you begin to doubt God's ability to help you in this situation, or this temptation comes in to say something or think something about someone or something that you shouldn't, and you allow that conversation then to begin, all of a sudden you are quickly on the road to yielding to that temptation. You'll tell yourself, God has no right to be so strict and so confining. I have freedom in Christ. I have grace. I have God's unconditional love. So he should not rein me in and put these boundaries within me. And so all of a sudden the doubting of the character of God becomes a reality. And then we eventually minimize not only the goodness of God and the character of God, but the command of God. The language Eve uses, she's quoting God's command, you will die. Hmm. It's very interesting. Because the phrase that she uses, you will die, supposedly quoting God's very specifically if you go back to the Hebrew you find that it actually the way she communicates it softens the command of God it suggests some questions about whether 
whether or not such a disastrous result will come from a trivial incident like this. This is just a minor thing. When I was younger, we used to, we used to call them big lies and little lies, right? Now you can't do the big lies, but you know, just kind of not telling the entire truth is okay. Well, here's that's what she's saying. Well, this is a trivial matter. God doesn't really care. All this time, the serpent is is just continuing this conversation. Here, this couple is making a disastrous move, step by step by step, to submitting to the temptation. Interestingly enough, when we uh, when we speak with the devil, he himself will criticize the command of God. He says in Genesis three four, the first part. He says, "You." will certainly not die. And so now he's criticizing the command of God. You certainly will not die. So he moves from insinuation at the beginning to a direct assault and assertion. Because the tempter, he's wily, he's shrewd. He slowly begins to bring, to bring this couple over to his side in viewing God differently. So he first causes doubt and skepticism through his seemingly innocent questions. And then he pierces the heart with the, the knife of denial. God's not going to let you die. He created you. God doesn't mean what he says. According to the devil, it's not that big of a deal. But he calls into question the character of God. Because in verse 5, he says, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. What Satan is saying here is that God is acting from the motive of jealousy. In essence, he's saying, listen, God knows that your life will be fuller, more independent. It will be even exhilarating if you eat that fruit. And so he, he doesn't want you to be around that tree and that fruit because you'll become like him. That stirred something in this couple's mind and heart. Well, we want to be like him. It's only a small step from this point for the adversary to compromise the truth about God. A half lie serves the tempter well. You probably all have been a, uh, a victim of a half-lie at some point. Where somebody says something to you or about you, and there is a part of it that's true, 
And there's another part that's not true. They may have, have just, you know, dug and researched and found whether it was true or not, or they just assumed somebody else told them, so it must be okay, so I can tell what I don't know to be true. And so they tell a bit of the truth, and the rest of it is not true. But our ears pick up and say, oh, really? Oh, oh, well, that's something juicy. That's what this couple did. Wow. He said, your eyes will be opened. Well, he suggests that they'll really see what life is all about. We always talk about that uh, age-old question, what is the meaning of life? In the context here, we're going to see what, what life is all about then. It's going to be greater and, and, and better than we, we could ever see before because God has kept us at bay. Well, we've gone a long way from, from them loving the life in the garden until the serpent began to speak and they began to dive into this spiral downward of temptation. One preacher said, Adam and Eve thought they would be shrewd, but instead of shrewd, they only saw that they were nude. <laughs> they didn't know that before. So their eyes were open. It was a half-truth. The other part of the truth was that they were going to be kicked out of the garden. And the garden closed. You've got to be careful about half-truths. What Adam and Eve saw was only their own remorse and their guilt. The devil had, had duped them with a half-truth. Don't ever take what somebody tells you to heart as truth without checking it out, going to the source. This couple that had it all indeed saw something new. It turns out to be their own guilt. And I wonder in your own life, have you ever been confronted with that guilt? That over the course of time that you have submitted yourself to that temptation and, and all of a sudden you realize what damage it's called, caused for you or maybe others and, and you feel this remorse and this guilt and it can't be taken back. It can be forgiven but the damage has been done. And that takes us from giving it attention to the conversation. And the third point is that temptation results in action that should not be taken. Attention, conversation, and now action. The end of the story here is almost an afterthought because the enemy has already won the battle through attention and conversation. So we find that the serpent withdraws. He doesn't say another word. The actual act of taking the fruit, well, it was as good as gone. It was already going to play out. He had done his job. He attempted. And now the action would take place. And that's what's so hard in our, in our struggle with temptation. It's because it's not because we just took that action. It's because it's already in our heart. We, we're already going down that track. We, we've accepted that. 
But why did Jesus, why did he say, you know, it's, it's not just the action of adultery that's a sin, it's, it's the thinking about lust, because it's already in your heart. It's already there before you take the action. That's where, that's where it happens. So this leads to the actual event itself. And it gives us, I think, the lesson for us today. Temptation defeats us before the actual act if we give in to the conversation. It starts in our heart. It moves to our mind. And then it goes to a deliberate action. But it's submitting to the conversation and that temptation is where it all happens. And that's within us. The sure defense, the sure defense against temptation is to never give attention to that which is outside of God's order. God has given us His Word. He's given us the power of the Spirit. If anything is awry from that, if anything is different than that, we need to move it out of the way. If it can't be substantiated by God's Word, by others who are believers in Christ, who are strong in their faith, then we must be cautious. We should never into enter a mental dialogue with the devil about the character or the commands of God. Because his character is pure, his commands are eternal. So I think the words of James form the best comment on this entire story. In James chapter 1 verses 14 and 15 the scripture says, each one is tempted when by his own desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after the desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The process, the pattern of temptation that we find in Genesis is consistent. And the best defense we have, as I said, is don't give credence or attention to it if it is contrary to what God's order is. The temptations that we face could be something that we say or something that we think, but if it is degrading or if it is disrespectful, or if it causes hurt or discouragement, we need to walk away from it. It could be temptation to do or say something about someone out of revenge or just somebody that you don't like. Or it could be a power play or a movement in your life, something that is lacking in your life that you've got to do something else to, comp to compensate for it that could give you the upper hand. But those are not things that are godly. 
So the truth is that temptation is a part of our everyday Christian life. It's just not the big temptations. They are the subtle temptations that are around us all the time. You will be tempted, and you will be tempted always. The holiness of character depends on your resisting those temptations. The best way to, the best way to respond is to not give attention and to respond as God did through Jesus Christ. And that is when they want to give you temptation, when they're going to try to tempt you to do something that you give attention to, you go back to God's words Jesus did. And you confront the tempter with his word. Say, Satan, not on my watch, because this is what God's word says. And I'm staying with it. And you stay close to him in prayer. You walk with the Lord with this, as Paul said, praying unceasingly. This is the spirit of prayer, the spirit of understanding of what's God's spirit, and listening to him. And I'll tell you what, if you do that, you will win those battles time and time again because you don't have to submit to them. Greater is he in me than he who is in the world. My question in this invitation time is, is that true in your life? You may have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but as you live your Christian life, is he truly greater in you than he that is in the world? He can be. You can make that commitment, that rededication, that desire to say, I'm going to know God's word and, and I'm not going to do anything concerning giving attention or conversation to the tempter who is going to be whispering in my ear. But I'm going to have that victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's because Jesus said, in this world you will have trials and temptations, but be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. And so you depend on him and listen to him. And not one, something somebody else says. Father, in our time of invitation, our prayer specifically is that your word has spoken to us. And we will choose today to move forward in victory, knowing that you are within us. Moving all of ourselves away, that, that we ourselves are crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but God, you live through us. And so help us to live what your desire is. And hearing your voice will give us understanding to move away from any temptation. So this morning, we pray for commitments to be made to say, yes, this is that spiritual marker day. I'm going to do that. For some, it might be to choose to accept Christ. For others, to join this church. But God, whatever your desire is, as you have spoken to us, help us to listen. And in this invitation, 
make our decision on your invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please stand and let's sing our invitation. Go ahead and be seated, please. On Thursday at 12.30 will be the movie lunch. And if you haven't already signed up, today is the last day to sign up for that lunch at 12.30. The cost is $5. Anyone can come for the movie as well as for the lunch. We just need to know if you're coming for lunch so that we can order enough food. The movie you'll see is... <clears throat> the most reluctant convert and that begins at one o'clock and the movie is free with popcorn and bottled water vacation bible school will begin a week from tomorrow july the 24th and you'll see the theme for this year is rejoicing as we go i hope that you will plan to be a part of that on monday tuesday and wednesday mornings we have invited the set free guys who came last year to again join us and we're hoping that they will be able to. The beautiful flowers on the altar table. They were there last week, and Frank and Betty Bush wanted them to be left for one more week so that we could enjoy them. But they are there to celebrate their 56th wedding anniversary. So thank you, Frank and Betty. I encourage you to take your bulletin and note that there are many different things on the back of it that you need to call attention to and be involved in. Not the least of which is our quarterly church conference on July the 26th, that will be a week from this Wednesday at four o'clock. Would you stand as Mita Cates, who is team lead for our personnel team, comes to lead us in our closing prayer. Holy Father, would that we would take this sermon today 
into our personal lives this week. Look and examine our lives and see where we have failed you in so many ways. Oh, Lord, you are good. You are so good. We thank you so much for all the blessings for this wonderful church and this wonderful family that we are when we get together and love on each other. Lord, be with us now as we leave here and go our separate ways. Lord, help us to be bold when we come in contact with those in this lost and dying world. They're going to spend eternity somewhere. Give us a heart, Father, to tell them about you and snatch them from the fire. We love you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' holy, precious name that we pray. Amen.